0: Welcome to this episode of The Connection Podcast. Today, we talk with Jeff Bullock of Springfield Third Ward, and we had a wonderful conversation. We're going to split this up into two parts. In this first part, we talk about some interesting topics, including hypnosis. Maybe, maybe not. We hypnotize somebody on the show. Probably not. But interesting topic nonetheless and then we get into talking about Jeff's life including his struggle with addiction his path back to church activity and something that I think that we can relate to a lot as members of the church being called to a calling that maybe we don't feel qualified for and the experience of seeing the Lord helping us and qualifying us so that we can lead in that position love the conversation thank you everybody for joining and we'll be back for part two Welcome to Connection Podcast. I'm Jason Keister, the show's producer, and we've got a guest with us today from Springfield Third Ward. That's Jeff Bullock. Welcome, Jeff.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: And we got returning guests. I don't know how they got back, but they are here. (laughs) Robert (laughs) Salgado.
2: Somehow like
0: I'm here. You're you're all dressed up like a missionary. You know hey that man. you don't have to dress that it's, way anymore. It's
2: still Sunday. It's the Lord's
0: best, you know. Okay, you're San making Vente. me feel bad Keep here. It holy. But, uh, you know, <laughs> well, uh, people don't know what I'm dressed like right now. It's okay. I could be. They you don't know, need to see us, anyways. Yeah, it could be wearing, you know, a shirt, uh, shirt and a tie, and it looks good. Um, could be something else, but you know, whatever. And Josh, I'm here. Josh Crook,
3: I'm back. Yeah. I'm wearing sweatpants.
0: Is this double digits for you now?
3: Uh, I don't know. I don't count. I should
0: have worn sweatpants today. Yeah. Actually, you look very comfortable. I'm comfy. Yeah. All right. Well, Jeff, I we were just talking. You and I just have been getting to know each other over the last few months or so, and yeah. there are quite a few people in the ward or in the stake that you still haven't gotten to know. We start most episodes off going through this hypothetical scenario where you're in a new ward. I asked you to speak. I haven't done that to you yet, by the way. i so, you uh, you're not new here. in a ward. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I've lived in the ward a long now, Yeah. Long
0: time. So we're going hypothetical here, though. We're, we're saying hypothetically you, you you're in a what, new ward. 13 when I yeah. started teaching.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sounds about right.
0: We asked you to speak, and, and you introduce yourself and go.
1: Well, shoot. Uh, grew up confused. My great-great-grandfather Thomas Bullock. He was a scribe for Brigham Young and for Joseph Smith. But his son ran with Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. So huh. explains why I'm so confused. <laughs> Grew up in a, a small town in Alpine in Utah. Uh, there was only 500 people on a small farm. Played a lot of sports. Wasn't a good student. Had a crazy life. I guess we'll get into that <laughs> a little bit. But, uh yeah, that's about me. I'm
0: so what kind of sports did you get into
1: every, in school? Everything. I played football since I was nine, baseball since I was six, basketball since I was nine. Ran track. I loved to run. <laughs> now I walk with a cane. <laughs> <laughs> I was also on the swim team. I was a diver. So.
0: Oh, man, you aren't kidding. For real. No, well, I was a bad knows. student.
1: I wasn't going to college by my education, so <laughs> tried to get in through sports, and then I hurt my knee, kind of destroyed that career.
0: Yeah, that'll work, especially, you know, years ago. It wasn't yeah. as much that you could do. Yeah, th- yeah, I
1: went to the orthopedic surgeon. He says, we make a 13-inch incision, and if we find it, we fix it. I said, wait a minute, if? If, yeah. And, <laughs> and he said, yeah, well, nothing's guaranteed. I says, no thanks. Yep. So I finished a year in football. I played basketball, diving, baseball on a bad knee. You play, any, you play You playing golf? I do. I did when mm-hmm. I could walk better. I'd probably fall down if I swung a club. Oh, man. really? So you're playing to the
0: judge here. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask because I knew you play. So yeah, are you gonna try to? St- are you gonna try to start playing, Robert? <laughs> I could. I could definitely start something up. Yeah. So, oh, golf! Golf's amazing. Uh, golf is amazing.
1: I love golf. Yeah. <laughs> Josh is like,
0: nah, Nah. soccer for life. It's like uh, anything but (laughs) golf for life. (laughs) Do you follow any sports now, Jeff?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I follow the Ducks and the Utes, of course. Let's go. There you go.
0: Two two very uh, cool teams there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The Blazers. uh, I like uh, the Warriors. Follow football. I like Kansas City.
0: Okay. Hey, Uh, well, well, we we got another big game coming up in a week. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, two of my favorite teams. I like San Francisco, too. Oh, really? Well, I was just out of high school when Stevie and went to San Francisco, so oh, I was a big really fan cool. back then. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> oh, Josh is coughing because I, I poisoned <laughs> his have water. I that out. Goodness. <laughs> yeah.
3: Was,
1: was it because I said Utah? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> love Utah.
3: Yeah. I'm drinking out of a Ducks cup right now. That's probably why.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> not Oh. <why>. oh. <laughs> <laughs> Says the guy that
3: doesn't follow football. So right, yeah,
0: totally. We're good. Do you ever antagonize BYU fans? Oh,
1: all the time. Yeah, well, I, had, <laughs> I had a I had a friend who had season tickets to Utah, and he couldn't go to the BYU game, which was at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. So he gave me his tickets. So me and my son, we put on our Utah jerseys. Yeah. no, that's yeah. right. Put our coats on and went right. Sat down at our seats and looked around, and I'm in a sea of blue. <laughs> so I took my jacket off and went, here we go.
0: <laughs>
1: but it was like the first year that they really didn't have a passing attack, and Utah was up by 17. I looked at the guy next to me. I said, the funny thing about this is you guys have to pass, and you can't do it. <laughs> <Nice>.
0: <laughs> but, did, that, did that ever get you into trouble? Or Oh, always. My whole, fam- <laughs> my
1: whole family went to BYU. So, I was a black sheep. So, I was a Utah fan. <laughs>
0: <Got> <laughs> well, you're in good company here. So, that's good. <laughs> yep. um, yeah. We, we mm-hmm. may occasionally antagonize BYU on this podcast, but yeah. I have no problem with that. So, <laughs> <Cool>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's what sports is all about, right? Yeah. Controversy.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, tell us a bit about your family, too.
1: Immediate or my.
0: Uh, immediate family, extended family, whatever. I know your extended family, you got interesting stories there too. But.
1: Oh boy, a whole bunch of them. Uh, my immediate family, my son, he lives with me. He's divorced. His three kids are in Arizona. Uh, with my retirement, I bought a duplex. I live in half and my daughter bought the other half. And the bad thing is when I got divorced, my wife moved in with her. So she's right next door. Mm. So that's quite interesting. We're better friends now than we were when we were
0: <laughs> Some, I mean, sometimes it happens that way. It is. Yeah,
1: It is. It, it was weird. We wanted to kill each other for about 28 years. It was good for about the first 12, 13, but then uh, went south in a hurry, and I stayed for the kids, and we kind of stayed together to, for the family. We got two great kids. Daughter's got a great family, got a grandson that's high-functioning, uh, autism, her husband's a Really good man. Really good man, but that's about it.
0: What kind of work did you do throughout the years?
1: Oh, man, I started in restaurants when I was 15, managed them. Uh, Me and my brother opened restaurants for some people that had money. Open a restaurant, we'd go in and build a menu, train the staff, and work it until they got up on their feet. And then I got tired of that and went to work for the phone company. Worked there for 35 years and uh, didn't like my boss. We won't get into that, <laughs> but we had a few words. He ended up firing me, uh, so I took my retirement and left. Then I got a phone call from a buddy, so now I'm contracting back to the phone company as an <laughs> ESC engineer.
0: Let's get into some stuff here. So we have some pretty cool topics that we wanted to dive into, but we want to start with something kind of fun. I want to start that way. Robert, You got? I think you have at least one fun mm-hmm. question to ask Jeff about. Oh yeah, yeah,
2: no, definitely. So uh, it's we know that you were a hypnoti- hypnotist for a little bit, I think, or maybe you still are. Still I'm not am. sure.
0: Still are awesome. Are we being hypnotized right now? We we could be. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. You, you don't know.
1: I okay. don't know why I'm here,
2: honestly. But be yeah. careful. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I I know you've been a hypnotist since I've been 13, and I've always wondered that since I've known you. So I need to know like, how did you get into that.
1: Well, the first thing was I wasn't the best of kids. I was a brat. And uh, after I cleaned up, I read that hypnosis is the best way to quit smoking.
3: Oh, okay.
1: Plus, I could play with my brother's mind and (laughs) all kinds of things. But I became a hypnotist to help people quit smoking, drug addictions, all that kind of stuff, help athletes, help them get in the zone, uh, people with self-confidence. It's actually quite a good science that People still think it's voodoo. Okay.
0: It's super interesting. Yeah, just, I'm jumping in for a second here, but I was just listening to a podcast for my continuing education for work, and most people know I'm a family doctor. But, I mean, it's there. Like uh, doing hypnosis for somebody who's trying to quit smoking or do other behavior change, it's pretty equivalent to medication. Sometimes it can be superior, which is super neat. You just have to find somebody that's taking the time to be trained in it.
1: Yeah. Well, your subconscious mind controls everything. And once your subconscious mind accepts something as fact, it immediately brings it out. So Mm as soon as your client accepts himself as a non-smoker, they're done. Mm -hmm. I've had people sit in my chair for one session, they're done smoking. They smoked for 30 years. Uh Never picked up another cigarette. I've had other people that came for two, three weeks that just didn't have what it took to quit. But subconscious mind is amazing. Mm -hmm.
3: So where do you get trained to do that?
1: I went to Utah School of Hypnosis.
3: Cool. Is it its own school or is it a course you take out of college?
1: It's its own school. It's its
3: own school. Yeah.
1: Hmm. They got one in Portland. I think there's one in Salem, too.
3: How long do you go for that?
1: It's not long at all. I went on the weekends for about six weekends, eight weekends. Okay. Yeah. Saturdays and Sunday. Nice. But I went all the way through basic hypnosis to stage hypnosis and advanced hypnosis. So, do
3: you get like a fancy certificate? Oh, yeah yeah
1: National Guild of Hypnosis National Guild oh, Guild. Of I want to be a uh, part of a like... guild, man. <laughs> yeah.
3: That sounds good. <laughs> yeah, you it's... had me at that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: it's all certified. It's all up and up on the level, and they uh, they do pretty good things. So hmm. awesome! That's, That's pretty a... cool.
0: Yeah, super neat. I wrote down something, actually, while, while you were talking. It I know we were we were starting off light and kind of fun, but I immediately wanted to dive into the depths and talk about our actual change in the spiritual sense because I think a lot of the time we have a block where, you know, maybe we know that we want to change a behavior, we want to repent, but we can't envision ourselves as somebody who doesn't do that thing anymore. Yeah. I just, I, it was just a thought I was, I was thinking just like you hypnotizing somebody trying to quit smoking is accepting myself as somebody who doesn't do blank thing anymore.
1: Well, I teach self-hypnosis, so you can actually take yourself into a trance and. Do a mantra to your subconscious mind until it accepts it as truth. So whatever you want to bring about, you can do that.
0: Yeah. Wow. That would be the most fun self-reliance course you could do. Self hypnosis.
3: (laughs) Ooh. Yeah. Cool. So that's it's not like in the movies. Like you're not like okay. So so just for everybody else, because you're not just like you know swinging a a a ring in front of somebody's finger. Right. Okay. So how like go through like what. Hypnosis, like how a session, yeah, or like how you, you know, without hypnotizing yeah. us. <laughs>
1: all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. Okay, uh, you hypnotize yourself. I know the path. There is a technique called the Dave Elman technique that takes about a minute, minute and a half. I can have you in a trance. You won't do anything that you wouldn't normally do, right? Because your subconscious mind houses your morals and your will to exist. So if I ask you to do anything that's against your morals, you just wake up and tell me no. Or if I ask you to do anything that will hurt you, you'll do the same thing. But if you accept the suggestions that I'm giving you, then your subconscious mind, like I said before, will immediately set out to bring that about. Mm -hmm. Like quitting smoking, being more faithful and praying every day, uh, that type of stuff. So an athlete wanting to be in the zone, learning how to get into the zone, I can teach them that.
3: So if they if they if the person that you're working with in a session, if they don't previously want to do that something, does it affect the Oh yeah. It does. If they don't okay. want to, it's not gonna happen. Okay. So it's still you still have to have like a prior inclination yep. to want to do it. You just help them.
1: Yep. If they don't want to, I'm not gonna hypnotize them. Got it's not it. worth my time, not yeah. worth their time. Gotcha. Cool. But if they want to and truly want to, like for smoking, for example, right. I ask them to really attempt Mm-hmm. for a week to try and quit smoking. Mm. And then we go through what they went through. How? Where did they start? How many cigarettes did they start? How did they cut that down? Where are they now? Yeah. You know, did you really try to quit? Do you yeah. really want to quit? And with smoking, the older you are, the easier it is to get you to quit because you know you're killing yourself. Mm. Younger people are too cocky for yeah. lack of a better word. <laughs> smoking doesn't scare them. So.
0: Uh, well, there's only one younger person here. Yeah, so, well, yeah. I'm not smoking yeah, so. right yeah. <laughs> He's just waiting for that. I need some help. I'll let you know. So. Yeah, well, actually, Josh, you're younger too, and I should have. I know. I felt like
3: for a second I was in the older group.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I got real excited yeah, for a second. Yeah, i haven't quite graduated yet. No, I'm not. Yeah, you're still at the kids' table. Yep. Yeah. Sorry. Although we're all sitting at the same table here, so mm, okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah, no. All right. Well, actually, that segues into something I want to talk with you about. And on our questionnaire, you listed something that you're most proud of is cleaning up in 1989, Mm -hmm. uh, getting yourself on a a different path. Can you tell us more about that process?
1: I was an addict Uh, when I hurt my knee. My team doctors, uh, I wouldn't get my knee operated on, so they pumped me full of pain pills. Wow. Mm. And I got addicted to pain pills. And uh, that morphed into more stronger amphetamines, cocaine, that type of thing. Uh, And that went on for years. And all during this, I was floating in and out of activity. Didn't like what I was doing, hated myself for it. Uh, In 89, I was at rock bottom. And I drove down to mom's to tell her goodbye and to thank her for unconditionally loving me all my life. And she didn't know what was going on, but she looked at me and said, Jeff, God doesn't make us do anything. We all have our freedom of choice. So all your choices have been yours. But I will tell you that God will allow us certain people to go through things so that he can teach them. And that education could be used for his good. And right at that moment, my whole life made sense. And I remembered all the mistakes that I made and God being right there to watch over me, to take care of me, and help me through it. So my life was an education, although I wasn't living the life I should have. God used it as an opportunity to help me through that. So I immediately started turning my life around, started being a hypnotist, started asking God what I needed to do to help Him, and he puts people in my life that needs to hear my story when i taught gospel doctrine there was so many times that i took my books and set them aside and i feel i got to say this and so i say it and somebody evidently would come up eventually come up to me after the meeting and say thank you that's exactly what i needed to hear bishop you came to my house and told me about your brother
0: yeah, I could say a little bit more about that actually too. And this is something I've shared on the podcast before, so it's not new for people who've listened to every episode, but my uh, brother Patrick, who is closest to me in age, he's dealt with addiction for most of his adult life. He he had several years sober, but you know, recently had a relapse and it was it was really tough for him and you and I actually talked about it. I think when we walked into your house, I think it was just the bishopric. We were trying to get to know you. Yeah. You know, we, we talked about at that point in time, my brother was in a really dark place where he relapsed and, and wasn't having a lot of hope. And uh, you talked with me about your story. I asked you if I could actually share that with him, and you ended up sending me an email later that I sent on to him. And I was just sharing with you at this point. You know, I'm grateful for that moment that we connected. Yeah, and yeah, and he actually went through rehab. He's back home. He's doing great. He's got a job. I just showed you a picture of him. Yeah, you know, he's yeah. he's changed. He's turned things around a lot. Yeah. And I, for me, it was pretty cool experience. Just because I agree. I, I've I've seen God put people in our lives, and sometimes it's because that person needs me at that time, but I, I just want to say, too, even if you're the bishop, the elders quorum, president, whoever you are, like whatever your capacity you're serving in, sometimes you're going to be there for somebody. But sometimes when you minister, that person's going to be there for you. Yeah, that happens I, a, that happens a I lot. I think that's yeah. super neat.
1: Yeah, that happens a lot. But throughout my life, God, since this time, has put people in my life, sometimes for five minutes, sometimes for weeks, sometimes they're friends for life and the holy ghost is basically telling me what to say what to tell them what part of my life to share with them what not to i mean everybody's going through something and sometimes that smile and a kind word is what keeps them from putting a bullet in their brain you just you just don't know so everybody's going through something so just be nice i've become more open about my my life because of that cuz you know i might offend 3 people but somebody needed to hear what i had to say.
0: Yeah. Hmm. I was wondering, we we can edit as we go here, but were were there any other examples you can think of of uh, situations where God puts you in somebody's life or, or puts them in your life?
1: It can be just somebody in a, in a line at a grocery. I've, I was standing behind a lady about 10 years ago, and I could tell just by her posture, the look on her face, that she was distraught. Something was going on in her life. So I smiled at her and started talking to her and joking around with her. And by the time she left, she was laughing. Now I don't know what that did for her, but maybe something. And I've had other people that have just walked up and confided in me. They've got a problem they need to talk about. And I said, Okay, let's talk. I'm I'm open to talk to anybody about anything. So it's happened quite a bit.
0: Wanted to talk more about so so you go through this process of of recovery. God puts a lot of people in your life. Yeah. And then we have this interesting story. There's a couple of stories, but we have this interesting story where you're called to be the high priest instructor, right? <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So tell us about that experience.
1: Bishop called me in and asked me to be, well, they put all us older elders into the high priest group just to make them cohesive group. He called me in and asked me to be the instructor, and I started laughing. I said, I know, Bishop, you know I look at things a little bit different. And he says, yeah, I think that's what those old codgers need. <laughs> <laughs> My typical attitude is if God wants me in that position, he's going to qualify me. So I told him, okay. So I want me to talk about when I got set apart?
0: <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, this is a good story. Uh, yeah. no, all
1: right. My home teacher, President Beecher, wonderful man, most spiritual man I've ever met. Uh, I asked him to set me apart, and he gave me all the keys and everything for the position, and went to give me the blessing. And his hands started to shake, and he started to cry. Sorry, I'm getting a little emotional. And he said, "Jeff, God has saved you four times, and you know it." And instantly, three three of them flashed into my mind of what had happened. And right then, my whole life flashed before his eyes. I saw it. He saw it. And after he said amen, I stood up and I gave him a hug and I whispered in his head, I said, I'm sorry. Nobody needs to see that. And he said, Jeff, it was the most, most spiritual experience I've ever had. It's one of my most spiritual experiences, too, to have God reveal my whole life to somebody that can help me. But that was, that was a special time.
0: Yeah. And we talked about this a little bit before the show. The, that experience of being seen and how it relates to your relationship with God. So what I wanted to get into, and, and I think we should probably talk as a group about this too, is when we are called, Robert, you were just served a mission. You did some leadership there. I mean, Josh kind of put you in a few callings now, <laughs> there, right? And, and God qualifies you, you know, how does that affect your relationship with God? I can start us off actually, if it sounds good. I mean, for me too. I I think I went through a common thought process that a lot of us do. Is like when I was called in Bishopric and called as the bishop eventually, you know, I was like, you got the wrong guy, man. (laughs) Like it's it's a. I always I always felt like there were people sitting up on the podium that were somehow much more qualified much better people right and then when you're actually called one it can help you to see you know that we all have struggles but i think two it can really help you to see that god has always had a plan for you that you were never forgotten and that he believes in you as your father and and i just wondered if you guys had experience too, maybe Robert on your mission or Josh kind of throughout life in church or on your mission too, like of being seen, of of being able to feel like God was there with you and 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 accepted you where you were at. Just let's let's get into it. Yeah,
2: uh, I'll take the first one. I Thank guess. you. <laughs> yeah, I'll
0: give you some time to think.
2: Yeah, but I think the one thing I've always learned from receiving a calling or being asked to do something is. Uh, you have a, a bigger capacity than you think. Mm-hmm. Um, in Spanish, um, there's a word that means training, which means capacitar. Mm-hmm. It literally means to be capable of. And I love that because uh, all of us think that we have a lower capacity than we think. In reality, the Lord sees a really high capacity, but we just need to be the ones that be able to open it and stretch it. And so anytime uh i was asked uh was asked to give a I was asked to give a, uh, I to give a calling uh, i can think of the first one i was ever given as a young as a sorry deacons quorum president and i i still remember being in the in the bishop's office and just absolutely just like so confused like you have it wrong like the guy's out in the in the in the hallway it's not me like trust me you don't know what you're doing i'm going to ruin the deacons quorum but <laughs> I'm so glad that I, I took on that calling because only as a 12 year old, like it just kind of helped me learn how to like, I guess, lead kind of how to help other guys just kind of see where it's all really at. And then when it came to my mission, it, it kind of changed the whole narrative because I was really the one in charge, really. I was the one that kind of had to come up <laughs> with the ideas. I was the one that really had to take charge. And so knowing that they're, knowing that I, I may not have known what I was doing at that time, the Lord was with me through the whole process, and so that's what I love about kind of when the Lord gives us our agency to use it for the benefit of the kingdom. Now we have more, and we're given more than we really, really think. Oh.
0: Hmm. All right, what do you think, Josh? Are there I moments? Like, yeah, yeah I, I like what Jeff said. He said that that
3: when you get a calling, sometimes you know God qualifies you. It reminds me of the scripture um, in Jeremiah uh, that talks about the potter's wheel, where you might just be a lump of clay, but you have potential. And sometimes you're not going to understand your potential until somebody puts you in a situation that will help qualify you for that. So I think that I think that everybody has potential might not be the best at it, but, you know, give it a shot. Go nuts. Mm-hmm. Wasn't the best a lot of things, but I mean, what are you going to lose? The church is about growing and it's about learning and and stuff who cares if you're going to do it horrible i'm sure the bishop will tell you if you're doing it bad um (laughs) (laughs) uh no i just i just think that you, you know you're you can be turned into so many different things and you might as well give all of it a chance there's no reason to not so i like what he said you know god definitely qualifies you yeah yeah so
0: and i uh can i share something yeah i i we just went to um, and by the way, you guys should totally, I'll, I'll show you guys this, um, essential craftsman is the name of the, oh, I love that guy. Yeah. yeah. He's so, awesome. it, so he's a, he's a YouTuber now, but he's a blacksmith mm-hmm. over in Roseburg and oh, yeah. he gives a great talk. I think Robert, you've actually been I've to, been to his once. blacksmith
2: shop. It's really cool.
0: Yeah. Right? So it, what we do, what we did is <clears throat> we took the priest quorum down and, and he takes these railroad spikes and he helps them to turn them into a knife. Mm-hmm. And the the process includes, you know, heating up the railroad spike, twisting it, molding it, shaving it down and eventually making it into like this beautiful knife, this keepsake that the kids have with them. Do you still have yours? I know I
2: do, but I just i I, 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 I have it trust
0: me, I just don 't know where it is. you know what fine man whatever i'm not your bishop i wasn 't your bishop at that time <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean I'm your bishop now, kind of but so yeah, yeah, but it it was super interesting because there was a lot of talk about the refiner's fire, but it, one really interesting comment that uh, this guy actually made is that when you are thrust into the refiner 's fire, it is incredibly uncomfortable. And it results in you being changed from something you thought was functional and okay to going through a metamorphosis of being something that is not quite what you used to be and not quite what you want to, right? Mm-hmm. And it's incredibly uncomfortable and it requires a significant amount of reliance and trust on who's in charge yeah. of that process. And I, that's one thing I've learned in the calling too is... Trusting who's in charge and letting him manipulate you in uncomfortable ways sometimes to come out the other end and be what he's expecting and what your potential really is,
3: yeah, I don't think if you're i don't think if you're uncomfortable, I don't think you're gonna learn yeah. as as much i don't think I don't think it's gonna be as important
0: hmm. yeah, not yeah.
3: saying go you know I don't know maybe go out and find uncomfortable situations, just don't make. Wrong, uncomfortable yeah. choices.
0: <laughs> and sometimes the uncomfortable part is breaking down things that were staples of our life before. Mm, yeah. It, you have to tear the house down to build it back up sometimes. Totally. Oh, Break yeah. down bad habits to build new good ones.
3: Yeah.
2: I think it was other Marcus B. Nash of the mission department. He said, there's no comfort in the growth zone and there's no growth in the comfort zone. No, oh, that's good. I've heard, as, I've heard as, that. It's a good one. It's it's yeah. it's very true. As as long as we bind ourselves back to our own kind of shell, we ain't going to do anything with it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it's really true that we're we're more capable when we really think, when we really kind of put into perspective when we're doing it, how well we can really do it. Yep. Yeah.
1: I think one of the biggest keys is knowing where our strength comes from, like when I get called to be your teacher, <laughs> I'm not qualified to do that. I can mess you up quickly. Anyway. <laughs> so no I did a lot of so stuff.. I did a lot of praying, asking God not to let me mess these kids up. But the key to it all was turning it over to God. Yeah, making it his process, and being a willing mouthpiece and a spokesperson for him. So I didn't know these kids; I didn't know anything about them. So he had to guide me for every step of the way, and I've one of my best friends out of it.
0: That's really cool. I wanted to go back to one thing that you said too. Is is you mentioned as you were getting this blessing that he sees your whole life like it flashes before him, and you say nobody should have had to see that, and he said that it was an amazing experience for him, one of the most spiritual of his life. I wanted to know more about the impact to you because I think about almost our relationship with the Savior, like that as a type where sometimes I want to say you shouldn't have had to ever see that, and he says I was willing to do that for you and I will again. You know.
1: Mm. Yeah, you know, that was Mark. He, he was probably closest to being a perfect person that I've ever seen. And he's the most spiritual person I've ever seen. So my life was such a mess, and I, I just had to apologize to him. But for him to say that it was the most spiritual experience of his life, even though what he saw, it wasn't cool. You know, it wasn't good. But the, you asked me if it brought me closer to God. Yeah, I've had brothers die. I've lost four brothers. Uh, some of them came to see me when I needed them. So the experience of passing through the physical world to the spiritual world was nothing new to me. It's happened to me before, but to have it happen in a blessing like this was like God was telling Mark that you need to see this to help him. And and he did, and we became so close after that it wasn't even funny. But uh yeah, it was it was crazy. That's also. Awesome.
0: I, I will just say, as as a bishop too, and and I won't get into details or specifics of it, but I I think it's important for people to know that that can happen, like in a blessing. And and the other thing too that has that hasn't happened to me before, but what has happened is I've seen who people can become, and yeah. I, I've seen a vision of that, and that is a really neat experience to be a yeah. part of. Is is laying hands on somebody and and seeing how God sees them and seeing. The next steps in their life.
1: But just a reminder that we're not in control. We're 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 not pulling the strings. Well, we shouldn't be. If if we are, <laughs> if we are some, if we're pulling the strings, something's wrong.
0: No, we are. I mean, we just learned about that in church today, right? That was our that was our Sunday school lesson about the Leahona. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like when we try to be in charge, the directions somehow get lost pretty quick. <laughs> <Yeah>. Somehow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We hope you join us for part two of this podcast.